This is episode 302 of the AWS podcast, released on March 10th, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Alicia here with you. Great to have you back. I'm joined by a very new special co-host who's going to join me on these update shows. I'm joined by Nikki Klein, who's a senior technical evangelist here at AWS. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be here, and I can't wait to share all these updates with you guys. I'm obviously a senior technical evangelist, which means I uh, I speak to developers about how to build on AWS, mostly on our digital um, channels, so Twitch, or I post on Stack Overflow, or sometimes Facebook Live, and then now our podcast. And before coming to AWS, I was a startup founder. I co-founded a company um, that actually got VC funding. And now I'm here and I'm really happy to be here. It's great to have you here. And this really helps us, I guess, expand the way we can cover all these updates and keep you across everything and, and bring some additional color. Because I think, uh, Nikki, you have a really strong developer background and certainly a, a passion for the developer technologies. Maybe maybe share with the audience um, why that is. Yeah, I'm definitely an app developer at heart. Um, that's where my passion lies. Uh, before I started my company, I was an engineer um, writing apps and then created my own app. And that's the one I launched in the world. And so I am most interested in all things AWS related to app dev. So I will definitely be diving deep on those topics or um, at least touching on them as we go. Excellent. I look forward to having the tabs versus spaces conversation with you at some time later on. <laughs> Absolutely. We can go into that for hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just a start. So let's get into some updates. I think we've got some interesting app dev related ones to start with, Nikki. We do. So in our mobile space, um, or also if you're a front-end developer, this applies to you, um, the Amplify framework added support for multiple environments, custom resolvers, larger data models, and IAM roles, including multi-factor authentication. Um, if you're not familiar with Amplify, Amplify is a three-part framework, um, and the CLI is what received the update. So the CLI is a very easy-to-use um, CLI tool where you can basically add pieces to your backend without having to know a whole lot about AWS services and environments. And now the CLI supports multiple environments, offering a more Git-style workflow for switching between environments for your Amplify project. So if you're working like within a team, you can have developers working in isolated backends, or you can share backends now across developers. So if you have multiple front-end developers that need to share, um, now they can do that. Uh, there's new support for IAM roles and multi-factor authentication, which now enables customers to use an IAM role with or without multi-factor authentication enabled, and then access AWS resources managed by the Amplify framework. Um, so this basically helps you enforce your AWS security best practices and controls across the, your organization. Another announcement for AWS, uh, the CLI is now custom resolvers for AWS AppSync enabled you to write resolver logic and attach data sources such as Amazon DynamoDB, Amazon Elasticsearch Service, and or an HTTP endpoint that was provisioned independently of the Amplify GraphQL. So if you've used the Amplify CLI before, you can add um, GraphQL, and then now you can add custom resolvers to your GraphQL to resolve those data sources. 
Um, this can all be achieved without going to the console and without writing your own CloudFormation stacks, all just within the Amplify CLI tool, which is so extremely easy to this use. This is kind of a big deal for, for the developer community. I know on, on Twitter there was there was much celebration and cheering yes. <laughs> in the Twitterverse because because I, I think the it might be worth sharing that the you know, Amplify is a bit of a, a secret weapon in getting started quickly in terms of both front-end and back-end. Absolutely. So there are three parts to Amplify. Amplify's framework, there's the CLI tool, which I just mentioned. Um, you can use the CLI and the tool will basically create CloudFormation templates for you um, based on categories. So you don't need to know service names. You can just say things like Amplify add off and it will set up authentication in the backend for you. And then the second part of Amplify is the libraries and you can incorporate those in most of your popular front-end frameworks like React or Vue or Angular. Um, and then using those libraries, you can also use Amplify's pre-built components. So we end up building a lot of the same things when we're developing apps, like we're building in an authentication view with sign up and login and forgot password. And if you take advantage of Amplify's services, you end up writing almost no code. Almost so no code sounds like the right amount of code. <laughs> yes, it's exactly the right amount of code. For these boilerplate pre-built things that you that you do all the time, uh, you can actually get to your important business logic and what differentiates that app from another. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of differentiation, let's move on to solutions and quick starts. And there's been some really cool announcements here. So we're introducing something called AWS Solutions, and these are technical reference implementations built and vetted by AWS architects and AWS partners. And these are designed to help customers solve the common problems faced by their peers around the world. Now, a lot of people do similar stuff, and we might do it in a slightly different way, but eventually say, well, couldn't I just get the design that they used? And so these AWS solutions are built to be operationally effective, performant, reliable, secure, cost-effective, and be, of course, well-architected, which we talk about on the podcast a lot. And each of these solutions comes with a detailed architecture diagram, a deployment guide, and instructions for both manual and automated deployment. And the nice thing is that you can use these uh, deployment guides and these architecture diagrams as the foundation for your own design. So you can take it as kind of the, the starting point and then grow from that, or you can use it as the entire solution depending on what you require. And all this gets deployed into your own AWS account. And there are lots of different industry topics uh, linked in the show notes to the AWS Solutions homepage because it will give you lots and lots of great information. There are also some really cool new quick starts I'm gonna run through quickly. <laughs> funny that. Uh, there are AWS quick starts for the Atlassian products that now do auto detect of existing infrastructure. So this is really useful for understanding what's currently running in your environment so that it can deploy even quicker. And these cover things like uh, Jira Software Data Center, Jira Service Ticket Desk, uh, Bitbucket Data Center, Confluence Data Center, that sort of whole uh, selection of tooling is supported, which is great. There is a quick start for Portworx PX Enterprise on Kubernetes on AWS. So this allows you to deploy that in about 20 to 30 minutes. So this is useful for managing databases or stateful services on Kubernetes. Not for the faint of heart, that type of management takes a lot more complexity and that's where Portworks comes in. And you can also now deploy the Zebia Labs DevOps platform on AWS with a quick start as well. This gets you up and running in about 40 minutes and it basically allows you to orchestrate releases by defining and automating all the steps in your software delivery pipeline. Uh, it lets you have a really repeatable, scalable release process. And you need to have this. And the interesting thing is this works for mainframes, middleware, microservices, containers, and more. So it really has a broad coverage of what it can cope with. The nice thing with the quick starts, again, is they are CloudFormation. You download them, you kick them off, you go have a coffee, you come back, you start work, which is really nice. 
We like that. We like having That's coffee. That's the way I like to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, some of those were really great announcements for continuous integration, continuous delivery pipelines. So I highly suggest you check them out. Super important. Uh, we have some awesome announcements for databases. Can't um, have an app without a database. Nope. Can't have an app without a database. And the first one is especially cool. Um, Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports Amazon S3 integration. Um, so now RDS for Oracle supports integration for data ingress and egress capabilities. Uh, this feature allows RDS customers to easily and efficiently securely transfer data between their RDS Oracle DB instance and Amazon S3. So previously that might've been difficult. Um, you might've had to set up a networking link or set up an additional database instance to transfer the data between S3 and your Oracle database instance. But now with this integration, you can use the um, RDS Oracle DB instance to transfer files to or from Amazon S3 using the new RDS Oracle procedures. So in, you can use Ingress with Oracle Data Pump to migrate workloads into your RDS Oracle DB instance. And then you can also perform egress out of your RDS Oracle DB instance by backing up the data locally on the RDS Oracle host. And then once the files are created locally, you can copy those files to an S3 bucket, which is awesome. That's Optionally, cool. you can also move these backups to Glacier for long-term storage. And it's all encrypted, which is pretty backup. cool as well. Yep, data is encrypted at rest using Amazon S3 server-side encryption. So it's it's a, it's an awesome way to now do ingress and egress for your RDS uh, instances to S3. There is another announcement for RDS for Oracle. It now supports Oracle Application Express versions 18.1 and 18.2. If you're not familiar with Oracle Application Express, it allows developers to build applications entirely within their web browser in a relatively low-code um, environment and platform. And so now RDS supports 18.1 and 18.2. Very nice. Very nice indeed. And uh, let's let's shift away from uh, from relational. Let's go to do Amazon DocumentDB. Uh, so it's had a couple of uh, quick updates for it. It's got uh, database auditing with Amazon CloudWatch logs. And it now also supports some new features for aggregations, arrays, and indexing. So Lots of uh, features that you need, things like our old friends, concat, substring, substring bytes, et cetera. I mean, where would we be without substring, Nikki? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental <laughs> foundational basis of most applications. Yeah, that concat one is also very crucial yes. for applications <laughs> when you're trying to pull like username and so you can concat first name and last name now. Super easy, um, get one data set back instead of trying to uh, put two things together. Yeah, it's, it's very good. So, um, and just a reminder, Amazon document to be generally available and you can use it in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US, US West Oregon and Europe Island. So DynamoDB Accelerator, also known as DAX, added DynamoDB transaction support for both Python and .NET, um, especially uh, partial to .NET as I was a .NET developer for, I've been a .NET developer for five years now. So DAX is now API compatible with DynamoDB transactions SDKs for Python and .NET. If you're not familiar with DynamoDB transactions, it's something that we launched at reInvent. It is incredibly cool. It allows you to basically run multiple transactions in your Dynamo tables, and they either all succeed or they all fail. So you can kind of create a semi-relational database where if you have dependency between one table and another, you can update everything at once or it will all fail. Um, so now you can use that with DAX, which is our DynamoDB accelerator. 
um, and and you don't have to make any changes to your existing application logic. So that's awesome. That would be the right amount of changes to make, none. Uh, performance ins- <laughs> Amazon RDS uh, Performance Insights, uh, which is uh, a really useful database monitoring tool. And if you're not managing or monitoring the performance of your database, you're missing out. Uh, now it supports counter metrics on Amazon RDS for MySQL, RDS for Postgres, and Aurora MySQL as well. So this gives you even more insight into what's going on. And as you're getting insight into your databases, you may want to change the instance types they're running on because picking the right instance type, either the one that's too big or too small can cause you problems. The good news is that Amazon RDS for MySQL and MariaDB now support the R5 instance types. So you can get some pretty chunky uh, instance types there. That's 96 vCPUs and 768 gigabytes of memory per instance. Uh, As an example, you can get up to 39% more performance from these instances versus the R4 instances. Or you can now also use the T3 instance types. And these are really useful for uh, sort of dev test environments, things that are more bursty, uh, low work workloads as well. So a bit more choice there. Amazon Aurora serverless now lets you publish logs to Amazon CloudWatch, uh, which is awesome. So now you can publish general logs, slow query logs, audit logs, and error logs, which just gives you continuous visibility into database activity, query performance and errors. Now you can audit your Aurora serverless databases using Amazon CloudWatch logs, which is awesome. Um, Aurora with MySQL compatibility also now supports T3 instance types. Um, So more instance types for Aurora with MySQL and Aurora with PostgreSQL now supports PostgreSQL 10.6. So now we've updated the compatibility to support the new version of PostgreSQL, which is 10.6. With this update, a new restricted password management feature is introduced for PostgreSQL. So if that's something that you'd like to take advantage, make sure that you update. Security is good. Let's move on to uh, to storage. And one, one thing we do love to do on the podcast, and, and Nikki, I know you're, you're equally passionate about this, is price reductions for customers. It's a good thing, isn't it? a great thing. Who doesn't love low cost? Exactly. Lower cost is a good thing. So Amazon EFS now has a lower cost storage class. This is the EFS infrequent access. You'll probably be familiar with that from the S3 world. You can now use this to cost effectively store larger amounts of data in your file system. So it means you can apply EFS to more use cases. And this is really focused on reducing storage costs for those files that aren't accessed every day. And typically you'll get savings of up to 85% compared to the EFS standard storage class. So it's a kind of a big difference and a big deal. Uh, The nice thing is that you can also enable lifecycle management. So with this enabled, EFS will automatically move files that haven't been accessed for 30 days from the standard storage class to the infrequent access storage class. So this is a really powerful capability. And this is useful when you don't need data very often. However, when you do need it, you need it straight away. It fits right in. And it's actually the holy grail of, of tiered storage that uh, I used to work in this storage discipline for a long time. And uh, this is always really hard to do. And now it's not, which makes me very happy to hear. Another thing you can do with EFS is it now supports tag on create. So you could uh, only previously tag your file system resources once they were created. Uh, now you have uh, much more optionality in terms of how you manage resource tags for EFS file systems using the console, the CLI, or the SDK. And AWS resource tags are supported by Amazon EFS in all regions where it's available at no additional cost. 
But if you don't use EFS, Nikki, then then you have more options now. We have uh, FSX. We do. <laughs> we released uh, FSX at reInvent, and the X just really stands for whatever third-party uh, soft file system that we're supporting. So now with FSX for Luster and Windows File Server, they both support AWS CloudFormation, which is great. Mm-hmm. Now you can use AWS CloudFormation templates to deploy solutions using either FSX for Luster file systems or FSX for Windows file server systems. And there was an additional announcement for FSX for Windows file systems. Um, They now support on-prem access to file systems and support access across AWS VPCs, accounts, and regions. Um, So now you can use uh, AWS Direct Connect or an AWS VPN connection to access your file systems from on-prem. As well, it works with uh, Transit Gateway, VPC peering, um, obviously VPCs, AWS accounts, and regions. Very cool, very cool. Now, if you are of the hardware persuasion, you may have used the AWS Storage Gateway in the past. This is uh, available as a software appliance, but also as a hardware appliance, it is now available in Europe. So you can now get the hardware appliance in Europe, and it has a usable capacity of up to 12 terabytes, and you can choose to use a 10 gig fiber optic card instead of a copper network card now as well if you're in the optic world. So this means you get a, a larger local cache for low latency access for data. And the benefit of fiber optic is that you get additional data center deployment options. A lot of data centers are moving to fiber optic only. So that's available now. Also, if you have uh, data, you should be backing it up. And the Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager DLM now has support for shorter backup intervals. So in the past, you could do 12 or 24 hours. Now you can do every two hours, three hours, four hours, six hours, or eight hours in terms of how you manage your backup policy. So this gives you better options in terms of your recovery point objective and your recovery time objective. And all you need to do is either modify your existing lifecycle policies or create new ones. More frequent backups are, are always needed. Always got to back up everything. Yep. And make sure you can restore. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to uh, analytics. We had a bunch of announcements in analytics. Uh, So the first one being for Amazon Athena. Uh, You can now use Amazon Athena workgroups um, to separate workloads between users, applications, view query metrics, and enforce cost controls. So if you are creating Amazon Athena queries and you are using workgroups, you can actually basically totally separate between users teams or applications um, running under the same AWS account, query execution, query history, what each user can do, uh, what resources they can access. And so you can have more granular uh, permission control and fine-grained access control for your Amazon Athena queries and tables and databases. And this is a big deal yeah. because Athena is such yeah. a, a powerful technology and people want to use it sort of more more broadly, but also put the right limits in place. This is this has really helped. And I, I just wanted to dive in there because I want to give a bit of a shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Marcos Ortiz, who uh, who put out on Twitter that uh, he really enjoyed our deep dive into the Amazon Athena episode that we did. And he uh, was able to optimize a big glue job that he had that worked with Athena. He took it from 23 minutes to four minutes using wow. data partitioning and parquet. So That's incredible. Uh, that's a win. <laughs> I'll call that a win. That's a huge win. <laughs> well, Workgroups had another announcement, actually. Athena Workgroups uh, now supports resource tagging. So you can actually tag your resources um, that, that, are, that you're using to separate query execution and query history between users, teams, or applications. And so that you can see, um, you know, billing and uh, allocate costs between the different tags. So, you know, you can uh, filter them based on tags. Yeah. Once you have lots of stuff, you kind of need to tag it. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. Otherwise, it gets confusing. <laughs> let's talk. Uh, let's talk streaming. Let's talk data streaming at scale. So, Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose now has support for custom. Amazon S3 prefixes. So this gives you more flexibility when configuring the S3 paths for data delivery. So this means you can simplify and accelerate your ETL jobs. And it also means you can do better data partitioning for faster query performance, which is exactly what we just talked about a moment ago, that partitioning your data is important. So now you can customize the Amazon S3 prefix using the Apache Hive format and timestamp format. So these are supported by the Java date time formatter class. So this is a really useful capability. If, however, you're more into the Kafka world of things, you can use Amazon Managed Streaming for Kafka. Uh, it's expanded its open preview into the Ohio and Ireland AWS regions, and it adds support for Apache Kafka 2.1.0. We really want feedback from customers about what's working in terms of that and what they'd like to see. It's a great chance to uh, to influence the, uh, the, the roadmap. Uh, if, however, you're more on the video side, Amazon Kinesis Video Streams now has synchronized audio video playback and MPEG TS container format support via HLS. So that is now available to you. And also the Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics for Java now supports AWS CloudFormation. So again, we'd like to automate all the things so you can do that now as well. Awesome. I have some incredible announcements there, especially if you're a developer that works with video streaming. Um, we, we have some announcements in the compute space now. There are five new Amazon EC2 bare metal instances that are now available. Um, the five new instances are M5, M5D, R5, R5D, and Z1D. The M5 instances offer a balance of compute, memory, and networking resources for a broad range of workloads, including web and application servers, backend servers, for enterprise applications, gaming servers, caching fleets, and app development environments. The R5 instances are well-suited for memory-intensive applications, such as high-performance databases, distributed web scale in-memory caches, mid-size in-memory databases, and real-time big data analytics, and many other enterprise applications. They both have local storage, offering up to 3.6 terabytes of local NVMe-based SSDs, and the Z1D instances provide high compute performance and high memory, which is ideal for electronic design, automation, gaming, obviously, and certain relational database workloads. Um, yeah, all are, of them are available in many regions. Yeah, these, these are super powerful when, you, when you've got to get to the hardware layer to get what you need done, done. These are the ones to do, but I think they have an extra benefit that you get to use the word metal in your instance name, and it's sort of kind of, I don't know, whenever I read it, I'm like, it's totally metal. <laughs> it, it, does, it is kind of fun to say, just EC2 bare metal. <laughs> and it's the dot metal suffix. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, I, you, you may be running an R5, but I've got an R5 dot metal. Of a Z1D. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. High, high compute and high memory. Touche. Uh, if you're in the container world, then the Amazon VPC CNI plugin for Kubernetes uh, now has some enhancements for P3DN instances. So this allows you to get access to those super high performance instance types as part of your uh, Kubernetes environment. And you can now also deploy a Kubernetes cluster using Amazon EKS with a new quick start as well. And this helps you get up and running very fast. We talked a bit about quick starts earlier on. Uh, what this does is gives you a reference deployment that gives you some custom resources so you can deploy and manage your Kubernetes applications using AWS CloudFormation by declaring Kubernetes manifests or Helm charts directly in AWS, uh, AWS CloudFormation templates, I should say. So it gives you some I'm really more excited. options there. Yeah. <laughs> 
You are you a bit of a fan on the Kubernetes side? Do you do you use that a lot? I I started to dabble into Kubernetes and I found that I was struggling to actually get a cluster up. So this is this is awesome. This quick start, yeah, really excites me. Very cool. Um, there's another awesome announcement. The Amazon EC2 fleet now lets you increase target capacity limits. Um, so it simplifies the provisioning of EC2 capacity across different instance types, availability zones, and purchase options uh, to optimize for scale, performance, and cost. Uh, there is a soft limit of 10,000 units per single EC2 fleet and 100,000 units per target capacity across all fleets in a region. But if you need more than those default limits, you can always you know, open a support ticket with AWS support. Uh, but we have increased the target capacity limits. Very nice. If you're uh, an AWS Elastic Beanstalk user and you're a Windows user, then you can now run your Windows applications on AWS Beanstalk using a whole lot of new features with the Windows Server Platform V2. These include things like managed updates, a whole bunch of new deployment policies, immutably, immutably, immutable deployments, I should say. I wish that was immutable. Uh, enhanced health monitoring and reporting, lots and lots of options. In the past, the platform had the more basic options. This gives you way more that we you know, you'd want to have in your own environment. So uh, I think for, for those .NET developers, this gives you another option, Nikki. Yep. Yeah, if you're, if you're deploying .NET applications on Elastic Beanstalk, this is a great update for you. Cool. Now let's talk uh, training yeah. and certification quickly because I'm going to ask you a question without notice, Nikki. Do you have any AWS oh. certifications? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on my developer certification right now. I'm going to take the <laughs> test really soon. So I'm actually studying. Excellent, excellent. Does that mean you'll get a nice sh- new shiny badge perhaps? Maybe do we do we get badges? Do I get a badge? <laughs> so I there pass? are there are newly redesigned certification digital badges. So if you ah. pass that exam, you can get it. Where do I wear this badge, or where can I display it? You can display it in Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and other social media outlets. But uh, you can also print it out on a piece of paper and stick it to your shirt if you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the best option. Maybe I'll stick it to my shirt and then I'll tweet about it. It's, I, I like it. There you go. Double, double time. <laughs> There's an additional announcement uh, for in the training and certification space. We updated the professional level AWS certification exams to reflect new features, services, and best practices. Um, so if you're not familiar with the exams, we have the AWS Certified Solutions Architect Professional Exam as well as the AWS Certified DevOps Engineer Professional Exam, and both have been updated to reflect our new features and services. Definitely something worth doing. Definitely something worth doing. Quick update on machine learning. We have enhanced content moderation for Amazon Recognition Video. So just as a reminder, Amazon Recognition Video is a deep learning-based video analysis service. It lets you see objects, people, text, scenes, and activities. Uh, it also helps you detect unsafe content, which is something I see used for uh, uh, quite a, de- a great deal. Now, content moderation for Amazon Recognition Video can identify various types of explicit and suggestive uh, content, as well as timestamps for where such content appears during the video. Now, it comes with an enhanced moderation model that reduces false positive rates by 40% on average without any reduction in detection rates for truly unsafe content. And what this means is that less uh, work gets passed on to human moderators to actually do the final set of checking. Uh, the great thing is, is that this is this is built in. It's pretty pretty amazing technology for 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 what you have to put into it. This is incredible. I, I love this announcement because you know if you are taking in uh, photos from your users and you need to make sure that the content is appropriate, uh, this is uh, an awesome resource for you to use. And now that it's enhanced, 
it's just even better than it was. It's as if machine learning is learning. <laughs> Funny that. Let's yeah, talk developer tools, Nikki. Good. You're yeah, a, you're a you're a real, you're a real, uh, our local cool kid developer. What's what's new? I, I mean, I hope I'm a cool kid. I try. Uh, <laughs> so Amazon Coretto 11 is uh, now available for use in preview. Coretto is a production-ready distribution of OpenJDK 11. Um, so previously, only Coretto 8 was available, which corresponded with the OpenJDK version 8, and now 11 is available for preview. AWS Code Commit also supports programmatic cre creation of commits containing multiple files. So this one is very interesting. If you're using AWS Code Commit and you're using um, Git to push code to code commit, uh, you previously could commit multiple files in a single commit. But now with this update, you can actually use the AWS CLI or SDKs to perform this common task without having to use third-party software like Git. So if you're not familiar with Git, and you only wanted to stick with the AWS CLI, uh, you can now do exactly what you can do with Git with the AWS CLI. Very nice. Quick networking update. Route 53 Resolver for Hybrid Cloud now is available in seven new AWS regions. I mention this not because uh, often we don't announce all the regional expansions because that would take another half hour on the show. However, sometimes there are particular features that people I know have really been waiting for and this really is one that makes hybrid cloud easier for enterprise customers because it gives you that seamless DNS query resolution across your entire hybrid cloud. And this is now available in US West North California, EU Frankfurt, Asia Pacific Seoul, Asia Pacific Mumbai, EU London, Canada Central and EU Paris region. So it was worth mentioning. Let's switch over to media services. We have a few updates uh, regarding AWS Elemental. Uh, the first one is AWS Elemental Media Store added support for access logs on containers. If you're not familiar with AWS Elemental Media Store, it is a video origination and storage service that offers high performance, predictable, low latency, and immediate consistency required for live streaming media combined with the security and durability AWS offers across its services. It's an inexpensive method for pass-through and low latency segmented video content delivery uh, which is awesome if you are doing a lot of live streaming. So this announcement uh, now generates access logs for your AWS Elemental Media Store containers, and they are available in CloudWatch with all the capability that CloudWatch offers. Elemental Media also launched um, the Media Convert added support for video rotation and ad marker insertion. So L AWS Elemental Media Convert uh, you can rotate video either automatically based on input metadata or manually by specifying a rotation value, which enables you to encode video created on devices such as mobile phones uh, by rotating it to the orientation that you require. In addition, you can now add insertion points in your outputs, even if your input video doesn't contain the right markers. Um, so those are the announcements regarding AWS Elemental. I think they're awesome for people that are streaming live video. Yeah, very, very handy. Let's uh, shift across to a couple of very important security updates. Uh, firstly, AWS Shield now has increased the default resource limits for advanced protection. So you can now protect up to 5,000 resources. That's 1,000 of uh, Amazon Cloud Fund distributions, ELBs, uh, Route 53 hosted zones, Elastic IPs, AWS Global Accelerator, accelerators, et cetera. Uh, this means you can get started and go big very, very quickly. If you need more than that limit, you can always open a ticket and get more. So that's really a, a good way to start without uh, having any limits get in your way. 
Also, the AWS single sign-on is now available in seven more global regions. I know a lot of customers wanted to get access to this because it lets you centrally manage access to multiple AWS accounts and business applications. Things like Microsoft Office 365, Salesforce, etc. Just sign into a user portal and away you go. So it's now available in Asia-Pacific Singapore and Sydney, EU Frankfurt Island, London, US East Ohio, US West Oregon as well. There's also been a bunch of updates in the world of Internet of Things that we'll just whip through really quickly. Uh, so the AWS IT device test is now available for free RTOS 1.4.5 and 1.4.6. So you've got more platform options there. The IT device Defender now provides statistical anomaly detection and data visualization so you can see what's going on and try and figure out why, which is very useful in large scale. We also have uh, more platforms, two Cypress development platforms. I'm not even going to try and read the numbers for these because they are massively no long. <laughs> you were waiting for me to try, weren't you? <laughs> I, I was. I was going to see if you were going to read the whole, nope. the whole long. Not going to do it. <laughs> but they are qualified for Amazon free RTOS uh, and also uh, risk-v support for the free RTOS kernel is available as well. So really in that whole IoT space, it, it's very – it's really interesting because there's such diversity of device types. You're really trying to cover as many as possible, which is pretty cool. We have some announcements in the management and governance space. Um, AWS Systems Manager State Manager enables document sharing now across accounts. So the AWS Systems Manager, which uses the State Manager to report on and enforce your desired state configuration, now allows the use of documents shared on across accounts. And with that sharing, you save time when creating and updating documents and ensuring consistency across accounts. There is also resource groups tagging API that now supports additional AWS services. So you can use the resource groups tagging API to centrally manage tags and search resources for 10 additional AWS services now, including CloudFormation, CodeBuild, DataSync, Elastic Container Registry, Elastic Container Service, FSx, MQ, Neptune, Route 53, and Step Functions. And lastly, the AWS Well-Architected Tool now supports architecture reviews for on-prem and hybrid cloud workloads. So if previously it might have only supported uh, your workload running in your in your AWS account, now you can use the tool to use to perform a review across your hybrid environment or as well as your on-prem environment. Very nice. Quick customer engagement update, Amazon Connect now supports some additional options when transferring to external phone numbers. Often call routing is a big thing when dealing with people ringing into your organization. You can now send DTMF touch tones to the recipient of the transferred call, and I'll uh, avoid the temptation to try and imitate those tones. Secondly, you can can programmatically select which caller ID to display. That's often very important to indicate where the call is coming from. And third, you can continue to engage with the customer when the transfer to the third party ends by returning the customer to Amazon Connect and resuming the contact flow from which the call was transferred instead of hanging it up. So that really helps you close the loop, which is very nice. I really wanted to hear you make those uh, Yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> totally not going to happen. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the end user computing space, Amazon WorkLink now works with Android phones. So you can use WorkLink to access internal corporate websites on your phones, and now it supports Android. So just in your Chrome browser, you can simply go to a link uh, that's an internal corporate link and be able to hit it. And that, the, the nice thing with this, just as, as a reminder for listeners, is that it, what it does is delivers the content as vector graphics rather than the content itself. So it really helps oh, with that, cool. that, that security profile. 
Um, speaking of cool robotics, uh, Robo, AWS RoboMaker, um, listeners may remember we did a, a live announce of RoboMaker back at uh, reInvent. It now supports new languages tagging and AWS CloudFormation. So now there are nine new languages in the console, French, Korean, simplified and traditional Chinese, Japanese, German, Italian, Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. Also, wow. you can now do cloud formation and tagging. So this this is going global. Uh, robots, make them. <laughs> <laughs> I really got to try my hand at making one of these yeah, one day. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Lastly, in the topic of migration, the AWS Server Migration Service added support for importing applications from the AWS Migration Hub. So that's really awesome. So now you can migrate applications that were discovered by the Migration Hub. And the Migration Hub provides, you know, a single location to track the progress of application migrations across multiple AWS and partner solutions. Um, and the Server Migration Service is an agent service which makes it easier and faster for you to migrate on-prem workloads to AWS from VMware, vSphere, and Microsoft Hyper-V environments. And it offers multi-server support to enable coordinated migration of a group of servers, making it easier to coordinate large-scale migrations. So uh, now the service can detect the migration hub. Yeah, that migration hub's proved to be really popular with customers because they're trying to kind of get a big picture view of their entire estate and figure out what yeah. to migrate and when. And, the, and then when they decide, they're like, and now I want to do it really fast. <laughs> so this right. helps kind of do that, which is good. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Nikki, we've done it. We've got all the updates done for everyone. So uh, you can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there were a lot of updates in February. Yeah, there were a lot. Well, what we're going to do is uh, is try and do these every fortnight. That's the intention this year. And whether we hit every fortnight or not will remains to be seen. But what we want to do is kind of break down the number of updates because it tends to be a lot, which is a good thing, uh, into more bite-sized chunks. So uh, look out for that. We'll try and keep the cadence up. Even I need those bite-sized chunks. <laughs> We all need. It's a lot for it's a lot for everyone. It's a lot for everyone, but it's exciting. It's nice, and, and the nice it thing is, is we we often read about things that we maybe don't use day to day. So it's like, oh, I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Totally. Hey, Nikki, thanks so much for coming on board and uh, and co-hosting the update shows. Thank you so much for having me as a co-host. I am super excited for uh, updates moving forward every fortnight. Excellent. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback, AWS podcast at amazon.com. We also like it if you give us uh, reviews and, and other positive comments or feedback on the, the different podcatchers, uh, as well as reaching out across Twitter, of course. Um, actually, Nikki, what is your Twitter handle? We haven't shared that. Yeah, my Twitter handle is Nikki, N-I-C-K-I underscore 23. Uh, feel free to tweet at me about the podcast or any of my Twitch shows. I'm on Twitch, I think, three days a week now. Wow. Craziness. Crazy. Multimedia superstar. <laughs> I try. <laughs> and thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. And until next time, keep on building.